Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. You're listening to Great Women in Compliance on the Compliance Podcast Network with Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine. I'm Lisa Fine, and today I'm speaking with Allison Taylor. Allison is the Executive Director at Ethical Systems and is also a Senior Advisor at BSR. She's additionally an Adjunct Professor at the NYU Stern School of Business. At Ethical Systems, she leads a program which aims to help companies build more ethical and effective cultures via approaches based on collective research. Throughout her career, Allison has consulted in the areas of strategy, sustainability, political and social risk, culture and behavior, human rights, ethics and compliance, stakeholder engagement, ESG, and anti-corruption. She's done an incredible amount. Um, I recently listened to a webinar where Allison was a panelist discussing the intersection of sustainability and compliance, um, and it was really very, very interesting and gave me a lot to think about. Um, At the same time, Allison is also moderating a panel at Compliance Week called the uh, CCO and CSR, the Impact of Corporate Social Responsibility on Compliance Programs. And spoiler alert, I'm also on that panel. So since the, vir- uh, the virtual com- Compliance Week virtual conference is taking place on May 18th to 19th, and Compliance Week is such a great supporter of women in compliance and this podcast, I thought this would be a perfect time to speak with Allison. Allison, I so appreciate you being here, and thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Lisa. I'm super excited. Me too. So let's start a little bit. Why don't you talk about your background and how you got into compliance and sustainability? Sure. So I started working in compliance in 2003. Um, I worked for an investigations, political and security risk consultancy called Control Risks for 12 years. I was first head of investigations in the Middle East and Africa, and then later head of investigations in the Americas. So Back in 2003, as I'm sure you'll remember, anti-corruption and compliance were not as well developed as they are now. So I had really good experience, I think, shaping uh, FCPA due diligence and political risk approaches, particularly in very high-risk countries where there's not a lot of information and where there's a big intersection between politics and business. So that's how I first got to know the compliance industry and from there branched out more into thinking about compliance and ethics programs and working on organizational culture. And then in 2015, I made the move from corporate investigations and compliance and ethics to sustainability or ESG or CSR or whatever whatever term you like to use. And so from 2015 um, to now, I worked at BSR helping companies uh, design sustainability strategies and roll out their programs. And I became very interested that, um, therefore, in the relationship between ethics and compliance on the one hand and sustainability and CSR on the other hand. Oh, okay. So, you know, you just mentioned a little bit about that, but talk a bit about the intersection of ethics and compliance um, and sustainability. I mean, there are some alignments and then there are some disconnects. So I thought it'd be great to just start with your view on that. 
Sure. So I think historically, the two functions have been considered quite separate. And so the traditional idea of compliance is that it is about helping companies manage and deflect regulatory risks. So it's about setting up policies and procedures and processes that prevent the organization from breaking the law. And the compliance officer is sort of the voice of the regulator inside the company. Sustainability, on the other hand, is about voluntary commitments. It's more of a social movement. It started in the 1960s, and it aims to help companies understand what their social and environmental and governance responsibilities should be beyond uh, legal compliance. So I don't think it's very surprising that the two functions haven't had a lot of connection and have been considered quite separate. But as a result of a lot of things going on in the world, this is really now changing and it's changing really fast. So if you think about this from the perspective of compliance, it's now very much more often called ethics and compliance. And I think most sophisticated compliance officers don't see their role as just being about helping companies to not break the law. They see it as being about help, helping companies drive values and integrity. They want the role to be more strategic. And I think also compliance teams recognize that legal compliance and not breaking the law is not the same thing as ethics and is not the same thing as having a good reputation. At the same time, issues that, ought, that used to just be voluntary, and I'm thinking of things like human rights and supply chain oversight, are becoming more regulated. And so that drives compliance officers to think about these areas that maybe aren't fully regulated yet, we can think about human rights. There's been some movement on modern slavery and trafficking, but human rights is not yet a full legal framework. But of course, compliance teams are starting to think about these issues and starting to become more responsible. And then on the other side, sustainability is now really changing as a result of a lot of things, more transparency, and a lot more investor interest. And so I think it is starting to become more sophisticated. It's starting to be built more into the policies and procedures of, of companies. And there's starting to be a lot more demands on kind of accurate reporting and making sure that, that what you're saying about your CSR program is true. And so then that naturally draws in alignment with compliance teams who have particular expertise in setting up programs and procedures and ensuring accuracy and honesty and data. So those, among other trends, I think are starting to um, draw compliance teams and sustainability teams much closer together. And as well, there's a lot of pressure now on governance. And so very often these functions end up on the same high level governance committees to help the senior leadership team think about integrity. Yeah, it's interesting, too, especially right now during COVID. Um, we, you know, I think that the two functions also are working together in a, a unique way because right now things are moving so quickly for things, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, from other things, from the different bills in the U.S. at least um, and around the world. And at the same time, the sustainability and corporate social responsibility is how does a different any organization do the right thing? Um, how have you sort of seen that playing out right now in COVID? 
Yeah, I mean, it's super interesting and it's really the perfect illustration of how having an argument that, hey, we're not doing anything illegal, so we ought to have a good reputation doesn't really stand anymore. If you open any newspaper right now, you'll find tons of articles talking about who, which companies are doing a good job, which companies are doing a bad job, who's laying off or furloughing workers, what's going on with executive pay, what we're doing on healthcare provisions, who's contributing and so on. And so really interesting kind of transformation in what the public thinks business ought to be doing right now. And a lot of public judgment and public criticism of companies that are perceived to not be doing the right thing. And so um, you've got all that going on. So a real transformation of, of reputational risk. And, and so thinking about reputation and how society sees the company is another very obvious area where, where sustainability and compliance can come together. But then you've also seen a lot of changes in real time to, to, to what's allowed in terms of your employees. To take a very obvious example, you used not to be allowed to take your employees' temperatures, and, and now you can because we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so compliance, I think, can really help um, think through the implications of these changes. And um, I think it's the, the, the current pandemic, though it's a crisis in many senses, is really an opportunity for compliance teams to position themselves as strategic functions and to help senior leadership think through these really, really challenging issues. Yeah. And I think that um, that kind of follows into the next point that I have. You know, in the past, the, there's been a perception uh, and I think about it like the sheriff approach of, as you said before, let's stay out of trouble. Um, and at the same point in time, sustainability could be considered part of, you know, the marketing, you know, the, the pictures of us doing good and doing well. Um, you know, I think these approaches had started to move away, as you said, because of ethics being more of ethics and compliance and sustainability to seeing that. Um, I think in terms of both becoming more sophisticated in the function, it's a values-based approach. Obviously, I think that's been escalated now. Um, can you talk a little bit about that integrated approach and also how to kind of make sure that a business is, you know, following up on their own mission and sort of enhancing that by, you know, utilizing sustainability? Absolutely. So, yeah, I think this very old school sheriff approach to compliance where you're really kind of like a policeman or a law enforcement officer inside the company um, I don't think um, you see that so much anymore. And in fact, um, if you look at uh, what academics say um, in the behavioral science field, there's a lot of evidence that if you set up a compliance program like that and you say, don't break the law and don't break don't get caught and hear all the rules and make sure you don't break all these rules and hear all these microprocessors. Actually, human beings don't react to that very well and it can have really negative unintended consequences. Whereas if you empower your employees and you trust your employees and you give them the tools to make ethical decisions and think about the ethical implications of what they're doing and try to drive pride and purpose in the organization, you're likely to have less compliance problems, but you're also likely to kind of motivate and retain employees. People, especially young people, really want to be able to believe in their companies and believe in the mission of their companies and, and doing good. And all of that can actually really 
help with compliance programs. At the same time, I think, as you say, um, CSR is very often thought of as being about marketing. I still talk to a lot of people that kind of roll their eyes at all these glossy brochures with smiling children in them. I've heard CSR called the paramilitary wing of the marketing department. But because there's now a lot of public skepticism about the difference between what companies say and what they actually do, there's really much more, you know, much of it more of a driver for that information to be accurate, for companies to disclose where they're struggling and for, for real meaning. So you can't just kind of tout a bunch of programs and not offer any evidence. You've really got to be able to show how you're showing environmental and social benefit and impact. So again, kind of all of this comes together in a values-based code of conduct or kind of how, um, you know, how CSR programs, things like working on climate change or inequality or community health, all these things can kind of help inspire employees, drive motivation and really meet the goals of the compliance function. So you start to see a lot of reason for these two, you know, these two functions to come together and talk um, and really then both, I mean, CSR and and compliance also both want to be closer to senior leadership and really taking more of a strategic role. So if they join forces, that can be much, much easier. Yeah. And one thing I'm I'm just going to add to that from at least my perspective is in, in my role as an ethics and compliance professional is People really, when I speak to people, even who have huge sales pressures, they want to understand, you know, what, what is, you know, what, what they're required to do, what is okay and what isn't. But most people really do want to try to do the right thing. And as a, in, in, in ethics and compliance, and I always say ethics and compliance for exactly that reason. If you explain, take the time to explain to people what might be an issue, what might be other things, how do they adapt to that? And as opposed to the department of no, it's the department of let's look at this and what is the risk. And I think that that, you're right, that's, that's the approach. Plus that keeps people from deciding, okay, they're so awful. I don't, you know, I'm going to ask for forgiveness later because what's the worst that can happen? Um, you know, you know, with that said, in terms of sustainability, what do you think should be top of mind for ethics and compliance professionals, particularly as they may be doing certain day-to-day things within a, within a business or an organization and helping guide that? Um, Yeah, so I think the first um, way to think about the sustainability team, if you're in the compliance function, is it's a way to maybe look into the future and help you understand and respond to emerging trends. So if you think about compliance as, as, as being... Um, about helping companies manage legal risk as it is today, um, sustainability can be a way to anticipate what might be the legal risks of tomorrow, because laws obviously don't spring fully formed out of nowhere. They come from social and political pressures. So back to, to issues like human rights and supply chain oversight, even though those aren't fully regulated today, those are areas where the sustainability team has a lot of expertise. And so they can help the compliance team kind of look into the future and think about the way things might be about to go and plan and respond and be more future facing rather than kind of struggling to react. So I think that's one area. Um, I think the other area is just about thinking about 
reputation and employee motivation and retention and that kind of thing. And so I think coming together on ethics and compliance training, helping companies to um, think about what their mission is, what their purpose is, how they inspire and motivate employees and things like incentive structures can also be, be really, really important. So lots of pressure from the sustainability field on things like executive pay and diversity and the damage of sales targets and that kind of thing and the same the same skepticism and pressure coming from compliance and so if sustainability and compliance can get together and talk to the human resources team and make sure that they understand the impact of the incentives they're putting in place then we'll probably end up with better incentives. Okay, now that's great. Now, just changing topic a little bit. You're obviously from the UK and have worked globally. You mentioned that earlier. Can you talk about any of the challenges that you've had that that you know stick out as a woman in the area or either in, in any of the geographies where you've worked? Yeah, I worked in a company that was very, very, very male dominated with very few women in senior leadership for a very long time. So um, I have a lot of a, a lot of thoughts. Um, about this, I think, you know, I would have really benefited and I I didn't have this when I was young and first working from um, a mentor or or somebody to kind of help me gain confidence and shape my career. And so I think if you're a young woman, I would say, look for a mentor, look for a coach, look for someone that can help you. Um, I think the other thing I would say, um, you know, for, for women in the workplace in general, and this is a generalization, so I need to be careful. There's very often a lot of pressure to take on kind of nurturing roles, to be responsible for people's emotional health and that kind of thing. And that work is extremely valuable, but it very often isn't valued that much. And so I think be really careful to look at what an organization values to make sure that you build skills to um, to be able to meet those expectations. And then if you can get yourself into more of a position of power, then you will be able to influence the organization in a positive direction to value things like people management and empathy. But it's very hard to do that if you don't have any organizational power. So First of all, focus on what's valued, build your skills. If you need to sell business, sell business, help the women coming up beneath you, and then try and get yourself in a position of power and influence where you can um, be have a seat at the table and move the organization in a, in a better direction. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a really important part. Mary and I talk a lot about you know, following up. If you get on the elevator and you're luckier to you know, get up there, you know, help send it back down to help people who, you know, you can, you know, really support their careers and help women have it a little bit easier than some have had it in, in the past, particularly for, from the reasons that you said, you know, you have to get yourself in the right place at the right time and do, and do great work and make sure it's the right work, which is a really, really interesting point about that. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, young women, Um, in very male-dominated organizations just don't have role models very often. And so I think it's really important to show that you can lead and manage in in ways that maybe 
aren't so traditionally thought of as leaders, leadership skills. And then, yeah, absolutely help the younger women coming up beneath you. I get um, so much pleasure and joy out of kind of helping young women with their careers and to build their confidence, build their public speaking skills and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it is. It's often, I mean, I know when I started my career, you know, there were things where I, I thought, you know, do I, should I be here? And then I always realized that the men in the room and not to overgeneralize, but more often than not, it never occurred to them that they weren't supposed to be there. So that was a mindset shift for me throughout my career. Um, a little bit of just, okay, bluff it. Everybody, all these, you know, everyone else in the room, if they don't think they're going to be, should be here, are going to act like they should be you know, on this project or getting this role or something like that. Um, and I think that that's something, you know, for me that I really like to try to help, you know, women starting or different points in their career that, look, everybody else that's there may have the same feelings, but, you know, don't think, don't dwell on it. Just dwell on the work. Exactly. And, 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 you know, competence and confidence very often get mixed up, uh, but there's no downside <laughs> to building, building confidence um, <laughs> and, and, and believing in yourself. And I think, um, you know, again, we've got to be careful not to overgeneralize, but a lot of women struggle with that. And so mm -hmm. I think get yourself help, get yourself mentors, get yourself coaching, you know, really be able to use your voice um, in the organization and drive change and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I don't mean, and there, I mean, I don't mean to overgeneralize either. It's not uh, absolutely not. And we've, I've talked about it all the time, all the men who support women in the compliance community and all sorts of diversity. I mean, I think diversity, as you were mentioning earlier, it's important in, you know, all senses of, of a community and of, a, of an organization, not just women and men, obviously. Um, so, I think I've been thinking a lot lately about what I wish someone told me when I started my career. What do you wish that you knew then that you know now? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think the most obvious point I would make is that your career doesn't have to be linear and you don't have to stay in the same field that you go into right after you graduate. So, I mean, one of the things that's been really fun about my career is that I moved from political risk to investigations, to ethics and compliance, to sustainability, and, and now I work in a university. And so I've really benefited from exploring um, adjacent concepts to, um, to where I was working in and seeing the connections between ideas. And I think that can be really, really helpful for creativity. So I think for women, working in compliance, listening to this podcast, or really anyone working in compliance, I would encourage you to be curious about areas that are close to compliance but aren't compliance. So look at risk or cybersecurity or sustainability or HR and try and kind of develop an understanding there. I think it'll give you a lot more breadth. It'll give you a lot more ideas. It's been really interesting to me how many people just kind of work in silos and how you can really learn really incredible things from kind of just being curious and diving or even just dipping a toe into different fields. So whereas I don't maybe have 
full depth in all the areas that I've worked in. I've really benefited from being able to see the connections between these areas and describe them. And I think there ought to be more people like that in the world. So I think that would that would be um, that would be the thing that I I wish I'd known. Um, and I guess the final piece I'd, of advice I'd have, kind of building off of that, is take more risks. Don't be afraid to take risks. Don't be afraid to try something new. We're all living a lot longer and we'll all be in the workforce a lot longer. So no reason you have to stick with the same thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's great advice because I I think people often do think, what do I do next in this role? And to think from the beginning, you know, what what are the things I'm interested in and how can I incorporate that? And how can I just learn? I mean, they're you know, when, when you're starting your career, as you said, you, so many people want to teach you or talk about what they do because they're proud of it and, you know, take advantage of that. Absolutely. Uh, never, never stopping learning is another really good piece of advice. So I went back to school to do another MA when I was in my late 30s. And it was an incredible experience. And because then I had a lot of work experience and I could apply the new ideas that I was learning, I benefited from it lot, a lot more than I did when I did, did my first graduate degree in my 20s. So that's another really good pitch for kind of lifelong learning. Um, and you don't have to go back to university. There's so many resources now online. Just be be curious and and look out there at, at ideas that maybe are outside compliance, but could be really, really useful to you and your role in compliance. Well, this is great. Thank you again. I mean, I could talk about this with you all day and I'm looking forward again to getting the opportunity to do that in some more detail next week at um, the Compliance Week conference, the virtual conference. Um, if anybody is looking for information about that, you're welcome to message me or go to Compliance Week's website, complianceweek.com. Um, you know, it's a different um, experience being virtual. It's my first virtual conference. Um, but I think, you know, it's a, lot of, it's a lot of fun. But most importantly, thank you, Allison. Like, I am so, feel so fortunate to have gotten the opportunity to meet you through this and to talk to you about this and to help think about you know, how to continue building ethics, compliance, and sustainability into one function. So thank Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lisa. Um, Fantastic to talk to you. And we'll look forward to seeing you online at Compliance Week next week. Thanks so much. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.